It was good to see the children bring their gifts up here for Coins for Christ. It reminded me that during all this uh, no heat season, the kids are going to remember coming to church without the heat. Coming to church bundled up in their, in their winter gear. Kids do that sort of thing. It reminded me of a very special time for our family when we had an ice storm when we were children. And our family got very close, not just emotionally, but physically, because we all had to sleep in one room around a wood stove. And my sister's birthday, uh, for the birthday, my mom made a cupcake on top of the wood stove, and she blew out the candle, and she got her wish, and I swear to you, the power came on right then. Um... So if we do not have heat in here next week, we're going to set up a wood stove and we're going to celebrate birthdays of everyone who's here. So help the kids remember this is a great time. That's what my parents did for us, and we had a really good season. Uh, At least we had snow to play in. But we've got God's Word that I want to share with you today, the second part of this study, In the Word. Uh, It's not only a study in the Word, but it's a study of how important the Word is. And I'm going back to 2 Timothy 2, but this week we'll take a look at chapter 2. We're working backwards through 2 Timothy. And here Timothy writes his word to Paul, or, or Paul writes his word to Timothy, encouraging Timothy to stay focused on God's Word in the midst of a community and a society and a people who can get distracted by a lot of different things. 2 Timothy 2, starting in verse 14, Paul says to Timothy, You keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It's of no value. It only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter, because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus and they who have departed from the truth. They say that the resurrection has taken place already, and in doing so, they destroy the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription, the Lord knows those who are His, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. Those scriptures are bookends for Numbers 16. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes, some are for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy and useful to the master, prepared to do any good work. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they just produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach and not resentful. Opponents must be 
gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. The Word of God here ought to awaken us and warn us. Let it grab our attention to remind us, first of all, there are a lot of wars of words going on. And the instruction here is for God's servants to stay out of the word battles. It's one word in the original. It's a word battle, a word fight. It may even be a made-up word, but it's a, it's, it's a quarreling over words. Stay out of word fights. Stay out of word battles. Why? Well, because they're useless. They are toxic, and they ruin the faith of others. Now, it's, it's both encouraging and discouraging to realize that these word battles have been around for at least uh, two millennium. Uh, it's nothing new, even though we seem to have um, more of it going around than ever before. Maybe it was the advent of cable news. I remember going to my grandfather's house when we all got those 12-foot satellite dishes. You remember those things? They still, they're, they're, they're turned into planters and gazebos now. And uh, we had those all over the place, and you could get CNN off of that thing. And they had this show. It was called uh, uh, Crossfire or Shootout or Bloodshed or something like that. And they would have two guys from opposite ends of the spectrum just arguing with each other. And my grandfather loved that show. And even as a young man, I said, what is it about this that fascinates you? And he said, boy, I just like to watch a good fight. That worked for him. But I don't know that it helped a lot of people. Word battles don't seem to settle anything. And I don't know that a lot was settled by that great experiment in cable news. In fact, Paul seems to be instructing Timothy quite often about this, and he will say something very similar to Titus about these word battles. In the first letter to Timothy, he says, anyone who teaches something different is arrogant and lacks understanding. Such a person has an unhealthy desire to quibble over the meaning of words. This stirs up arguments. Arguments that end in jealousy, division, slander, and evil suspicions. There will always be some need to, you know, by somebody to quibble over these things. It really becomes a problem when we tolerate that quibbling. And, and I'm not saying that we need to argue over arguing. We just need to follow Paul's teaching here and say we need to stay out of the word battles. They do no good. It doesn't mean that we can't talk about things. It doesn't mean that we can't have hard discussions about stuff. But when it becomes over every little word and using that against the other person and, and trying to find some reason to just disagree, it becomes a toxic battle that can hurt other people's faith. For example, he talks about Hymenaeus and Philetus. We'll get to them in a second. But the alternative of doing those word battles then is something more constructive it's this rightly dividing the word 
Now, maybe you grew up like me and you heard about that, that a workman approved by God is one who can rightly divide the Word of God. And I thought, what does that mean to rightly divide the Word of God? How do you rightly divide it? Is it Old Testament, New Testament? Because if you rightly divided Old Testament, New Testament, boy, Old Testament sure is a lot heavier than the New Testament. What does exactly does it mean? I remember posters where you would have all the books, you know, of the Bible. That here's how you rightly divide the Word of God. So if you just know which is which and what kind of literature it is, is that rightly dividing? What exactly is he talking about when he says you need to rightly divide the Word of God? I don't mean to quibble over words, but I do want to give you a little word history here. There's a word there, one word that's translated as rightly dividing. Just like you have the word for word battles, you have an interesting word here, orthotomeo. Now, we use the word ortho a lot. You have uh, orthodontics, orthopedics. You know That word ortho means to make something straight, to make it right, to get it correct. Here, it means cutting a straight path, making a straight path road you know if you think about it those of you who remember what life was like before i-49 we used to talk about the pig trail and highway 71 which is now called the scenic route it wasn't called the scenic route in those days it it was it was remembered as a much more treacherous route and then i-49 came in and from fort smith to fayetteville why, they just orthotomeoed a path straight up there, leveled it all out, even put a hole in a mountain so you can go through it. That's orthotomeo, cutting a path in a straight direction. You see that word in Proverbs, like Proverbs 3, 6, in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Here, I wonder if what Paul is telling Timothy is he's saying, I want you to carve out a path for the word of truth. I want you to make a straight road so that that word of truth gets delivered and that people aren't quibbling about words, but they're getting truth instead. Because the truth will get rid of all that quibbling. If we make way for the word of truth, then the war of words will end. Because truth shines much brighter, speaks much louder, stands more firmly than little arguments about nonsense words. He mentioned Hymenaeus and Philetus, who in their quarreling and in their arguing about words and the things that they claimed, he mentioned them and he said, they've wrecked the faith of some people. You notice that he comes back to that and he says in verse 22, I want you to flee the evil desires of youth and pursue faith, love, peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Verse 23, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. Why? Because it just begins a fight. We know how to quarantine now. If we've learned anything in the last two years, it's how to quarantine. That if you've got a virus, if you've got something bad, if you've got something that other people don't need, well, you're just going to keep it to yourself. You're just going to isolate a little while. You know what? We can do the same thing with bad thoughts. We can do the same thing with our little argumentative words. We can do the same thing. And you can do that when you notice that other people are coughing and hacking up quibbling words, okay? 
Just create some distance. Excuse yourself from it. And the term he uses here is when he says don't have anything to do with it, he says give yourself a pass. Write yourself an excuse. I can't help but think about this every time I, I, I studied this. You know, they, they, they brought uh, Welcome Back Cotter back to TV. You know, you got to be a certain age to remember that. But the sweat hogs and up your nose with a rubber hose and all this kind of stuff and all the phrases. I mean, man, we were catchphrasing that before the internet back in the day. But there was a character named Epstein, and he always came up with an excuse. He would write it out, and he would say, please excuse Epstein from his homework, signed Epstein's mother. Yeah, every, every note was always signed, Epstein's mother. I want you to write out an excuse when people want to draw you into an argument, and it can say, please excuse this person from this argument, signed so-and-so's preacher, okay? I'll stand by it if you do that. But you get a pass. You get an excuse. So that when somebody wants to draw you into that quarreling, just say, oh, I've got an excuse for my preacher, and it says that I'm not allowed to have a quarrel with you. Fine. Whatever it takes to get you out of it, it's foolish, it's empty, it's quarrelsome. And here's the thing, it's gross. It leads to spiritual gangrene. That word is there, and the word in Greek sounds a lot like gangrene. Actually, it starts out with gag. You know, that's how bad of a word it is. I'm not kidding. And it, it's, it, it's, it's grody, and he wants it to be grody. He says it destroys the faith of other people. When Hymenaeus and Philetus are saying that the resurrection's already happened and maybe some of you have missed out, even if people don't agree with them in that controversial statement, it can sow seeds of doubt that causes spiritual unhealth. So when we, when we use our time to encourage, to teach, to build up the faith, to strengthen those who need to be strengthened. When instead we use that to pick and to prod and to create little quarrels and arguments and word battles, some people are going to have their faith wrecked just because they didn't show up for a fight. And it's going to cause people to deny the truth and say, if this is the way that it is, then I don't want anything to do with this. Because it seems like all that these Christ followers do is fight with one another. Word fighting leads to immaturity. And immaturity is where we love to fight over words. We love to even take it personally. What did you mean when you said that you know, that jacket looks good on me. What are you saying? you saying that every other jacket I wear doesn't look good? What are you saying when you say you like my haircut? you saying that my hair doesn't normally look good? you saying that, what are you saying? This is the immaturity that causes us to turn word battles into resentments. Or we note what somebody said online. We pick up on what they said. And then we start talking to others. Did you see what so-and-so posted on Facebook? Yeah, what exactly does that mean? I think it means the worst thing you could ever imagine that it means. Oh, you do? Yeah, I do. What, what's your argument for that? Well, I just don't like them. Oh, okay. And so I'm going to live with that, and I'm going to ruminate on that, and I'm just going to just keep that working in my heart and mind until I'm just going to blow up on that person one day and we're going to have a word battle. Church, we need to quarantine ourselves from this kind of nonsense. And we need those of us who are just maybe moderately mature, mature, 
to raise the level of maturity for all of us, okay? Because we can all grow up if we walk that straight path for the word of truth. There's a better way. There's a better way than what we've been given by the culture around us. Where, and, and, and I want you to know that resentment and you know, speaking the truth, keeping it real, just saying, those are kind of the, the defaults of our day and age. Well, you know, I just said what needed to be said. And if people can't handle it, then that's too bad. Yeah, but did you, how did you say it? Did it really need to be said? And did it need to be said like that? Does it have to be personal? Or can it just be truth? Maybe, as Paul suggests here to Timothy, we can be humble and kind even as we are speaking the truth. There's a better way. And to borrow a phrase from the casinos all around us who say you can't win if you don't play or the lottery, I want to flip that over and say, you know what? You can't lose if you don't play either. And you can't lose a word battle if you just choose not to play. So when somebody's calling you out, when somebody has something you know, that they're saying about you in a text or online or behind your back or whatever it is, don't play the game. Don't take the bait. Excuse yourself from the fight, like I said. Write that note. I'll write it for you if you need, but you don't need me to write it. You just need to just walk away from it. And the reason why is not just to stay out of a fight, but because we're called to something better. Christ has a vision for each and every one of us, and in that vision, we are His servants. We are kind and humble teachers. With that humility, we might actually get a hearing for the truth. This might be the way that we carve out a straight path. None of us are called to be bulldozers of the faith who just go out and tear people down, tell them the hard truth and let them know it, mow everybody over, and then they'll hear the truth. I've never known that to work. But if we make a straight and level path with the truth, then then people might actually be set free from the snares of the devil. If we can be patient with those who seem so resistant and oppositional, it might be that they notice that and they say, I notice that you're not alarmed by my positions. I notice that you're not upset because I'm thinking some things that maybe you don't agree with. No, I'm not. I want to find the truth, and if you want to find the truth, we can find it together. And if we're mature enough, we know that, okay, if I see truth that I wasn't aware of, I can repent, and I can accept that truth. But if you see truth that you weren't aware of, can you repent and accept that truth? Maybe people just need to know that they have a safe place, a level place, a clear road where they can accept and hear this truth. And nobody's going to judge them and say, see, I told you so. And they're not going to hold their their bad ideas over their heads forever. But if we can be kind and humble teachers, put away the resentment, be patient with those who resist and oppose, not just the truth, but maybe oppose us, 
then we don't have to be defensive. We don't have to be offensive. We can just be workers who have nothing to be ashamed about, and we're waiting to see. Maybe God will give them an opportunity to repent. Maybe God will give me an opportunity to repent. Maybe God will give somebody that we love an opportunity to repent because that's how they get out of the devil's trap and sets the captives free. I think Paul is inspired not only by the Spirit of God, but he's inspired by Scripture as well. Remember that for Paul and Timothy, Scripture is what we call the Old Testament. It would be things like the law and the prophets, like the prophet Isaiah. And I think Paul is inspired by imagery from Isaiah when he's talking about this this cutting a clear path for the truth. Straight from the Word of God, you have Isaiah 61 and Isaiah 40. This is how the Gospel of Mark opens. With John the Baptist, the proclaimer, he has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted like a gentle and kind teacher. He has sent me to proclaim that the captives will be released and prisoners will be set free like repentance when people escape and get away from the devil's trap where the devil has got them doing everything that he wants them to do, but they find a better way. Isaiah 40, it's the voice of someone shouting. This is how Mark's Gospel opens. Listen, it's the voice of someone shouting, clear a way through the wilderness for the Lord. Make a way. Make a highway. Make a path for the Lord. Why? Make a straight highway through the wasteland for our God because He's going to set the captives free and He's going to bring them home. These are images of what you and I are called to be. In preaching this word, I hope that we have leveled the path for you to hear the truth. The truth about who you are. The truth about the gospel. About Jesus who comes, the one that John is proclaiming and saying, the one who comes after me will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. The one who comes after me is the one who will comfort the brokenhearted. And free the captives. This is the word that calls us to the Lord's Supper table this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, we ask that you would give us the strength and the courage to stay out of the word battles that may tempt us, that may draw us in, that may anger us, that may trip us up. And instead, to be the kind and gentle teachers. To be the the approved workers who have nothing to be ashamed of because what we are busy doing is not defending ourselves or taking the offensive against others, but we are simply interested in making a straight highway for your truth so that others can travel this road with us and make way for your word in their hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.